They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinibaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Joe, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing really great. How are you? I am also doing well. Uh, today we're going to follow up on our conversation with Lenny Duncan and Francisco Herrera and the Decolonize Lutheran Movement uh, center of gravity that is gaining some steam for some conversation. So what are some things that uh, you gleaned from our conversation with Lenny and Francisco, Joe? First, I just want to say, wow, those yeah. two guys are incredible. And I just really look forward to their leadership in the church and how they are really going to change the way uh, we do church in the ELCA. Both those individuals, uh, Lenny and Francisco, as well as the other people that are part of the leadership of that group. Um, I was just really amazed that not only in the depth of the, the way that they understand theology and the way that they're able to express it, but also, you know, their personality, their life experiences. Um, it, it was really just in incredible. I think both of us just kind of sat back and listened to what they had to say because it was uh, really great. Yeah, I agree completely. I think um, for me, something that was worth pondering about afterwards, and I still am actually, is uh, that this has been a conversation for a long time. Yeah. And uh, we've just been completely unaware of it as right. two white guys, uh, yep. really. Uh, and that, and just to, to own that and say, okay, we've we missed something really important here. To truly listen and not just to respond to it or say we've got an answer for it or find your place again it seems like a common response. The church really needs the voice of its people. And that means all its people, and that means especially the voices that we tend to ignore or overlook. And uh, we've just we have done that, and we just need to own that and say we got to stop doing that and own the fact that we have. And that's hard. I mean, that's not it's an easy thing hard. to do, especially someone uh, like us who really have had a, a life of privilege and come through the church and in, in really having our, our voices listened to and not necessarily ignored and be cognizant of the privilege that we do have, and like you said, listen, but also hopefully in the listening, find ways that we can be support and be a, a part of this decolonized movement. Yeah, uh, two things on that. When we finished the interview and we were still just chatting afterwards, I mean, we both had kind of this like wow moment of we're part of the problem and we didn't even realize it, and really just kind of lamenting that with each other. And then the other piece, uh, Lenny at the end, just talking about, you know, what we're looking for are allies, and we have the size of our denomination, three and a half million people, that, that, that's what they're looking for. We, we want allies in this, and to really say, okay, I can do that. I, I don't need to take the lead on it. I don't have to tell people what it is. I, I just need to listen and say I'm supportive and, and then do something about it that is supportive. Those are my greatest learnings from this. And, um, you know, since then, they continue to produce stuff. I mean, they've put uh, more articles out on the decolonizedlutheran.org website and just continue to reflect on where we are in the life of the church and uh, where we need to go. 
The way that, that we have come to this point, everybody has had some experience that has led us to where we are today. And listening to the point when Bishop Eaton put out a liturgy to reflect on the massacre in South Carolina and blowback from other clergy and, and thinking that a number of people of color were just saying, I'm done. If, if this is That's too it. inconvenient yeah. for you to work with what is happening in the world and to remember folks and to lift this up as a tragedy in our nation. If that's too much for you, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I'm so thankful that that the leadership of Bishop Eaton and others have really helped raise this voice that is so needed in our church. Absolutely. Yeah, so maybe we can just talk about the four points that they raised that we talked about together, and we can just kind of reflect on those a little bit. How's that sound? That sounds great. That sounds great. Why don't I just read what the four are, and then we can go back and talk about each of them. Okay. So the first one is to decolonize justification. That's how we understand salvation. Decolonize leadership. Decolonize the story. And decolonize evangelism. So let's go back to the first one, which is decolonize justification. Um, I think the point they're trying to make there is that it's how we understand what God has done for us is truly through Jesus Christ, is is what we are about as Lutheran Christians, not some of this uh, Northern European cultural baggage, right? Yeah, and I think this came out with, uh, you know, your Lutheran if memes, where the hashtag decolonized Lutheranism was born. Being Lutheran is not a showing of your heritage of where you come from. It's not the color of your skin or your sexual orientation or anything like that. It is the fact that we know that God loves us, that we are justified, not by who we are, not by what we have done, not what we have promised to be or pledged to do, but God loves us and accepts us for who we are right now. Yeah, and to expand our understanding of who we are within the human framework uh, as well. You know, we, we tend to think of Martin Luther as the German monk and keep the story there. You know, we've been talking with people recently, and it's, I mean, there are more Lutherans in Tanzania than there are in the United States. Right. And there are more Lutherans in Indonesia than there are in the United States. Now, we tend to overlook that or don't even pay attention to it, quite honestly. But those are voices that are just as important, if not even more so, in a place where the church is actually growing, to say, okay, this what mean, what it means to be a Lutheran is not to be Scandinavian or German or or whatever, or even Indonesian or Tanzanian. It what it means to be a Lutheran is to know that our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus does is the center of of our identity uh, as Christian people. Yes. That's the part that's critical to our faith as Lutherans, and that's the message that we want to get out there. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, the identity of your church in your community, you know, you want that identity to be on love and grace and forgiveness, stuff that God gives us, not necessarily what you bring to a potluck. And the reality is we are a church in the ELCA that's 96% white. We are not representative of Lutherans around the world in, in our churches in the United States, and that's something that we need to talk about and figure out how we can change. I think it was Lenny who lifted this up, is the 6% we have, we still need to listen to, too. We yeah. can't just lament the people that we don't have, right. or the diversity we're trying to reach but can't quite connect with. We have some, and their voices are of great value, 
and we need to respect them and not delegate other people to another room or the conversation, but to say, look, you know, you have an equal footing here and we value who you are as a child of God. It's important that we listen to each other. Yes. And it leads into number two, decolonized leadership, to have leadership in our church, not only in, our, in the local level, but also in the synodical and the ELCA level to be more representative and more diverse than it currently is. I think that's right. And I think, I mean, you've served a couple congregations. I've served a few congregations. The resistance to change in general is, I'm trying to think of a nice adjective. Ridiculous. It takes a lot <laughs> to actually change to actually change something. It does. Um, it and does. not just give it lip service or say we're going to do this and then people resist or try to focus on something else. It really is difficult to change. Um, I mean, I think part of that is the human condition, but I think it's a systemic condition when we get together in groups, uh, whatever those groups are, but particularly in the church, to, people tend to think of one snapshot that they have experienced for themselves is the only way th- something can be experienced. We just got to get over that. And it, right. I, I mean, I don't know a great way to do it, but at the same time, we got to keep pushing back because it's kind of one of those, it, it's change or die. And a lot of people pick death. <laughs> we laugh at that, but I think right. a lot of people would. You know, A number of years ago, we were talking about rearranging the pews in the church. We had a face-forward right. pew set up. We said, well, let's rearrange it into a round, and we had all these reasons why, and we talked to some people, and a number of people were on board, and I was there a couple of years before I even mentioned it, because I'm like, I don't want to pick that fight. But we started to, to talk about it, and we wanted to make the congregation aware of it before they came in, and everything was different. I had one gentleman stop by and tell me, he said, I don't want you to move the pews. I said, okay, you might have some sort of reason or whatever. I said, okay, well, tell me about that you know, what's going on? And, and he said, I just don't want you to move it. And I said, well, you know, I, I understand. I, I hear what you're saying, but, but tell me why don't you want us to move it? Is there logistical reasons or whatever? He said, I don't like change. That was his only reason. And I was just kind of, okay, well, thank you for being honest about that. And, and we ended up moving them a little bit, not to the degree of what we thought, and not just because of that comment, but a lot of folks in, in churches, they, they have so much change that is happening in their life outside of the church. They want one place with that they know that's going to be the same week after week. But unfortunately, because of that, we are not keeping up with the times, and we're not being faithful to what God is calling us to do, and that is to raise up leaders, especially leaders in our church, and, and leaders that are representative of the society that we live in. So it's not just white leaders. It, it's represented and yep. lifting up people of color, the disabled, genders, uh, transgender, gender nonconforming, all kinds of sexualities and ages, um, those who've been incarcerated or immigrants, you know, just raise up leaders that, that can help us move the church forward. Yeah, and just to use that pew analogy, you know, there's a lot of exciting things we can be doing as churches. I mean, there's a lot of life out there that we can attach ourselves to or, or get involved with or, or, you know, important changes we need to be working on. But we, we tend to focus on the wrong thing. Jesus didn't come to cement pews into the floor. I mean, I'm sorry, he didn't. He came to create a new radical way of living, of being together, of engaging the world, of, of looking past all the dividers we tend to accumulate between ourselves. Uh, of the hostilities we have, uh, of the shame we carry around. I mean, all these these things that we just, we do as, as broken human beings, what do we do with it? 
I mean, if I'm on the outside looking in and I'm not a church person and I say, but what you do is fight about the pews, I wouldn't want to be part of that, would you? No, no not at all. Uh, not at all. Or the people that say quite openly, we've got a mission here. Uh, and they get pushed out by the people that are, I mean, I hate to pick on your pew guy, but <laughs> are basically killing it. <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, taking the wind out of the sails because um, they can't change their precious pew location. I mean, in a way, we get exactly what we deserve, which is being pushed out of relevance. Yeah. The other piece of it is is to be open to the leadership of our congregations as far as, you know, when you when someone new walks into the church right. and, and they don't look like you, they don't necessarily act like you, they might not even speak your language, and then how is the re- reception of that person? Are you going to turn your nose up to them, or are you going to welcome them with open arms and say... We are glad you are here. We should be turning to each other and say, wow, what a great gift of this new person here right. among us. Right. And uh, what a great thing that is, that we've encountered a new person, and we hope that they fall in love with the same Jesus that you know embraces us so, so openly. Or they already have, and they're here to share that, what that means to them. I mean, this, this could be wonderful. And yet, uh, you know, we show up, we talk to the same people, we sit in the same spot, we and argue about the coffee cups. Right, and wonder if, if the person who, who comes if is to make sure their last name is Johnson or Anderson. That is the leadership. So you want to talk about the next piece? Yeah, so decolonize the story. I mean, we've kind of uh, identified part of this already. Um, just the whole part of the Northern European culture that a lot of us in the ELCA at least, have experienced or or call home is not necessarily the only way that faith can be experienced. There's a lot of other stuff out there. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful in the ELW, at least we have a lot more global music in it. Uh, It's probably still not as diverse as it certainly could be or or probably needs to be, but it's a start. And even just form. I mean, we're so rigid about church needs to be an hour and it needs to be played by an organ and it you know the seats all have to be facing forward and the pastor has to dress a certain way uh i I mean really i mean is that is that what the church is or is the church about the love of god in christ and we've got that to share with the world and we can do that in all kinds of creative ways we just need to be more open but second is I mean, maybe we haven't experienced what that looks like, and it, we just it's not even on our radar, right? I, I mean, I, I think that's part of it, too. I think that's definitely part of it, that it, we don't know any different. It makes us feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, we have, at my congregation, two very different services, one that is organ-led, one that is uh, led by a praise band. The form of the services are completely different. The way that we worship is completely different, and trying to bring those two together, even even in our context, is hard. And introducing new music, if it's not setting three, then then people don't want to sing it, you know? So it's, it's really hard to, to do that and to open up ways to do it, but then also to do it well. I mean, you, you, you want to make sure that if you're presenting new stuff that you want to be able to do it well, uh, especially when it comes to music or liturgy. I really connected when we talked about worship and, and how Yes, we should be open to worshiping a little bit different, but also it's very contextual. Right, exactly. I, yeah, it, it's not um, sing these Caribbean hymns and everything will be fine. I mean, right. I, don't, I don't mean to say that, and I know you don't mean that either, and I don't think they were saying that either. 
but I think it's to say there there's a variety of things and even the variety that we have within the community where we're located we need to tap into that in a way that we often overlook yes we tend to look at the 1950s as the glory days of everything that ever was in the whole 2000 history of the year history of the church when really it's it it's a little black blip on the map with its own blind spots as well as things we can affirm. Yep. What we should be doing is is saying, all right, where are places in the church and not just the Lutheran church, but the church as a whole? throughout the world where things seem to be working, you know? Right. I mean, shouldn't we be learning from the folks where the church is growing or rather than saying, well, we just need to do it like we did 50 or 60 years ago here. I mean, that would make more sense, I would think. But um, we, we so often just don't even go there. We should be learning from folks around the world and we should be learning from people like Lenny and Francisco who are challenging us to have conversations about how we do church and how we can be an inviting and affirming church. We need to ask ourselves, how can our church, and how can we as individuals be supportive? And how can we facilitate conversations about race and sexuality and gender issues in our church and in the world? Because if we don't start having these conversations, our church is not going to be able to move forward. And in a few years, it might not even exist. Yeah, and the, and the other thing they said, too, is, you know, you can't beat yourself up too much if you really have no people of color in your church. Right. You can't just do something and they'll all show up. Uh, I mean, the, you can't do that with any group of people. You can't just—I mean, the, the build-it-and-they-will-come model is long past. Um, but to say that we can, we can certainly work on giving people voice or articulating what people are doing in other places— that are to be affirmed, right? I mean, I yep. think uh, that needs to needs to happen. Decolonize evangelism. Boy, we keep our light under a bushel basket, don't we? We do. We do. We're too afraid of offending somebody. And, and I get that, but it's just it's too bad, man. You know? Yeah. I, I think I, I heard one time at a conference, I think it was, or maybe I read it somewhere, that we don't give people the tools to be able to talk about their faith. I think that is, you know, might be something that we need to think about and talk about. Because, you know, when, when we talked about folks being scared about the backlash that might come when you do share your faith with someone or ask someone about their faith or uh, evangelize, and, and then the, the, the feeling of, well, maybe they've had a bad experience with Christianity, and we need to be uh, aware of that and, and sensitive to that. My hope would be that, that, like Francisco said, we need to be a listening ear and help right. those Christians who have been hurt or who have this sort of idea of what it means to be Christian in their mind um, and, and, and to say, no, that, that's not necessarily the case. I'm sorry that you feel that way, and I want to be there, and, and, and I want to show you a different way. You know, not that that telling them that they're wrong, but just to say there's there's a different way to express your love of God, to experience the love of God in your life that is open to all, and help folks have the right words to be able to speak out in a situation like that. I wonder if it's as simple a thing, uh, and simple's the wrong word, um, but I'll start with it. Uh, you know, when they teach you conflict management stuff, the difference between using you statements and I statements. Yeah. Because when you, you think of the evangelist standing on the corner with the Bible ready to throw it at the sinners uh, and tell them what terrible people they are, 
uh, if they don't repent or something. I mean, that's the image we have of, of what this is, which is not what we want. It's all about you. You know, you need to turn around. You need to repent. You need to accept Jesus kind of a thing. I wonder if we could we could start. I mean, I agree with, with building a skill set, and we're going to need to practice, I think, more than anything. If we want it to happen, we actually have to put ourselves in situations where we're going to do it. But to just talk about, well, this is what it means to me. Or, you know, I've struggled through something as well, and this is how I've encountered God in the midst of that, or how my faith has seen me through. And not to make it individualistic either, but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because then if someone said, well, my experience has been bad or horrible, or this person did this to me, you can still honor that, right? Because you can say, yeah, uh, that did happen to you. And this is what I have experienced. I'd like to invite you to come walk with me in in this in a new way. I don't know. For some reason, I think if we did more of that, it wouldn't be as scary. Because now all you are is you're, you're articulating your experience, your story, truth as you've experienced it. And I don't mean to relativize faith either. Um, I think we have a truth in Christ that's a lot more universal than just how we've experienced it. So I don't want to convey that. But if we can put it in the first person, it's a lot, it's a lot less confrontational. I guess that is what I'm trying to say in it, that regard. Right. And you're not saying we believe this and you need to believe it. So too. get in line. Right. right. That's, you know, kind of to your point is this is my experience and I can only share what my experience is. I, I this is how I see my faith. This is why it is important to me and part of that importance is to belong to a community where I'm able to share freely, to learn, to worship, because what someone else is, is sharing is their experience. Well, I've experienced right. this. I, I've seen this on TV, or I've you know, been hurt by this person, and, and these are the reasons why. And so it's, it's not an us versus them. It's not a you versus me. I think you're right in saying, you know, using the I statement, I feel like this, and I've experienced this. And this is what I want to share. Because then if you're using it as an I statement, you can actually go through all four of these and it changes the nature of them a little bit. Um, You know, so decolonize justification. This is how I have experienced what forgiveness is. And maybe it's through Northern European liturgy and that's okay. But to also say maybe you've experienced it in another way and I need to listen to that too. Same with leadership. You know, I've experienced leaders in the church who have communicated this way or dressed this way or came from this particular background, but I also know that's not the only way. And how have you experienced that? Or or even the story, you know, I've experienced, I'll use your pew guy. The reason why this pew means so much to me is my family has sat here for a generation or two. Uh, and this person who has died used to sit here. And it feels like part of me is is missing if that's not going to be that way. Well, then you can say, well, that's an I statement, right? Then, okay, I get where you're coming from. Or I can honor that in a way that makes sense versus it just being about, well, I don't like change or, or you're changing this on me. What are you doing? You know, Right. That makes it accusatory. And then to the evangelism piece, again, if you're talking to someone who either left the church or has a nominal relationship to it or isn't Christian at all or comes from a, a different faith background completely, you can still talk about Jesus in a very open way as you've experienced what that means in your own life in a way that you can still listen to another person and their story 
without relativizing faith in a way that you know makes it insignificant either. But the I statement, I think, makes it less confrontational, which is the reason I think a lot of people don't like evangelism. They believe it's supposed to be confrontational, that somehow you're making an appeal based on knowing the other person's wrong, and I have to convince them otherwise. Right. And I don't think that's that's it all. That's it at all. I mean, good news is announcing that something great has happened. It's not telling the other person that their life sucks. It's saying this wonderful thing has happened, and we want you to be a part of it too. And I I agree with you with talking about all four points through the I statement, which may make it more accessible to other people who might be a little intimidated by talking about decolonization of justification or leadership or the story or evangelism to say, what we are able to speak of is our experiences. And this is my experience. This is how I have seen the church when we talk about justification. This is how I see lack of diverse leadership. Um, This is how I see worship and this is the way that I worship, talking about it in an I statement would really help people be able to express their feelings and uh, to open the conversation a little bit more. I think so. And then to think about what we experienced when we talked with Lenny and Francisco, their I statements about what they have experienced, and a lot of it, unfortunately, has been negative. Right. For me, my I statement around that is I was appalled and I feel like, and I think you had that same reaction afterwards of like, oh my gosh, I have completely overlooked a, a huge portion of this or not given it enough time of day in my own reflection and, and thinking about things. So I, as a person, need to first repent of, of that ignorance and second, I want to be and feel called to be a proponent of, of helping their voice be heard. Do I have it perfectly? Of course not. And, and neither do you or neither does anybody. But to be able to listen, to be able to listen and say, hear somebody say, this is what I have experienced. And not just come back with either an argument about why they're wrong or how my way's better, but to just say, I hear you. And I need to think about my situation a little bit differently because I've actually listened, I think is huge. If, we, if, if the church can move in that direction, we've got a lot of good growth coming. Right. To really sit down and look deep with inside of ourselves and say, what is about having these conversations makes me feel uncomfortable? Why do I feel uncomfortable? Right. And, and why do I, as a straight white male, find it hard to have these conversations or, or to face the reality of what is happening in the church around me. As we've had some of these conversations and, and webinars as, a, as the church, I participate, but on, a, on the outside, because I know that it, it is going to be difficult, it is going to be hard, and I need to face the realities of knowing that it's up to me to help make the change to have an open church where everyone feels comfortable. When, you know, when we, as a church, say all are welcome, do we really mean that? And we need to put our best foot forward and to know the reality that this is where we need to go as a church. We need to have these conversations. We need to face our own uncomfortableness, and we need to stop making excuses and and to really start participating in the movement. Yeah, and then I, I shifted a little bit in my own thinking and say, well, what do I feel called to? 
And I would say, you know, the, the center of where I would say my pastoral identity calling is, is in that verse from Ephesians that's equip the saints. So how, how to do that? And it, it means, personally, I need to find those spaces where I can help people have some of these conversations. Right. Or at least be able to, to help enable them to listen uh, in a new way. Uh, otherwise, we really only have those conversations about moving the pews. And you know as well as I how insignificant in the kingdom of God a thing that is. Right, right. <laughs> yep. Well, I think there's a lot here. And uh, I know just having one conversation to follow up on uh, what was a wonderful afternoon with uh, Francisco and Lenny uh, is surely not enough. Um, and I hope for the people that listen to our pod- our podcast that they also would feel invited uh, to have their own reflections on what it means to either um, be a person of privilege and how we experience that in so many ways we don't even realize most of the time. Or if you're not a person of privilege, to help people that are listen or, or at least be open in a new way to to hear another story. I mean, it's one of those, we got to do it together or it's not going to happen. I guess we can just continue to pray that it does. The only way that we can do this is to to do this together. And I would like to encourage any of you to share in the comments on our website, you know, your thoughts, your reflections, and your hopes for the for the future of the church. Let us know how we can continue to be allies in this movement and to continue the conversation either here on our podcast or in other areas, because I think both Jeff and I are committed um, to work within the decolonized Lutheranism movement um, to help conversations continue to happen. Keep an eye out for uh, the conference that is going to be happening sometime this fall in the uh, Chicago area. I think that is going to be an important conference to really help um, this movement move forward. Yeah, and just to reiterate again our gratitude to both Lenny and Francisco for one for talking with us. I know I learned a lot and I look forward to learning more. For that, I'm most grateful. So thanks to them for their partnership and, and their leadership and the conversations that will will continue. So thanks a lot. And thank you, podcast listener, for joining us today. This is an important topic and sometimes hard to talk about. So thank you for uh, listening and joining us. And I, like I said, I do encourage you to leave comments and just share your story, share your experiences, share any ideas of how we can help um, you be a part of this important movement in the church. Once again, my name is Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Thank you for joining us. And we are the Two Bald Pastors, helping you connect your faith with your life. Take care and be blessed. Bye now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Do you love Jesus, Jeff? (laughs) I will not do Francisco credit to (laughs) quote him in exactly the way that he... uh, Shouted it from the mountaintops, which was really fun. That was fun. And we continue to... to uh, Fart around? Yeah. We continue... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm dra- drawing a blank here. Follically challenged. Challenge. I'm writing it down. Yes. <laughs>
This may be tough. <laughs> There's a lot, no, no, a lot noodling a... <laughs> around in the sponge tonight. Okay. Take, take number three. three. I'm not only follically challenged, <laughs> I am mentally challenged at the moment. Nice. I'm vocally, <laughs> focus, focus, focusly challenged as well as follically challenged. 